If you've joined us in the last, sometime within, it's really since right before Christmas, uh, we've been going through the book of Kings, which is first and second Kings. It's really one book split up for convenience in your Bibles. Um, just working through the book. And so I just want to do a really fast review of kind of where we've been, because it's been a few weeks. And then we're going to get into the story of Elijah's confrontation on Mount Carmel, which is sort of the exciting part of First Kings, right? It's the, it's the part of somebody's going to make a movie, it's going to be this part, okay? Um, the part you've all been waiting for, right? So, so if you kind of just remember back across where we've been so far in the book, we've basically gotten a kind of ge- genealogy of kings, a list, and it's, it's annotated, meaning that there's details about each king, little statements, sometimes it's just a little paragraph, sometimes it's chapters, depending on the king, right? And, but the overall theme has not been positive, has it? Uh, it's, it's been rather negative. It's, it's been one epic failure after another, one king failing to do the most basic righteous things as a king and leading Israel farther and farther and farther into idolatry to the point where we get the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms, right? So things have gotten real bad. And, and each king, it'll say things like, and this guy was worse than the last guy. And then the next one will be, and then this guy was worse than the last guy. So it's escalating exponentially where everybody's outdoing the previous administration with how wicked and idolatrous they can be. Sounds kind of familiar, does it not? I mean, just read a history book. This is the history of everywhere, right? And, and so we end up kind of at the end of that list with our man Ahab, and Ahab is described as the worst of them all. So... Ahab's at the end of the list, and he's the worst of everyone. Chapter 10, verse 30 says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And then just three verses later, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than the God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And all of this fundamentally is over idolatry. That they have, he has, these kings have led the nation of Israel into various forms and various depths of idolatry, even to the point of building temples to false gods with an eyesight of Solomon's temple. So God raises up Elijah. Finally, we get some relief. Elijah comes and he confronts King Ahab and his pagan wife Jezebel and the entire system of idolatry that she had set up. So Jezebel becomes like the, the ambassador for Baal worship. Married to King Ahab, king of Israel. This confrontation began with Elijah declaring that it would not rain. Remember that? I think that was maybe the last time we were in Kings. Elijah comes and just boldly confronts the king and Jezebel and says, it's not going to rain. And that's interesting, not just because of the not raining part, but because Baal is the god of thunder and rain. And the reason, one of the main reasons they worshipped Baal was to try to get it to rain regularly for their crops to grow. It's an agricultural society. So it's not like a coincidence that Elijah picks rain to be the thing that is the judgment from God for their idolatry. He's making a point, which he's going to continue to make in the story we get into this morning. 
The confrontation ends with Elijah calling for a showdown on Mount Carmel. This is a fun little part of the story, which we can't get into a lot, which is this guy, Obadiah, who is this mysterious double agent figure. He's close to King Ahab and Jezebel somehow has a connection with them in his court and is trusted, but he's also an ally to people who are enemies of Ahab. And Elijah connects with him like in a little secret meeting, and Obadiah is kind of jumpy. He's like, you're going to get me killed. And Elijah says, I want a meeting. So Obadiah arranges this meeting where there's this dramatic moment where Ahab and, and they're all having their whatever, their king meetings, whatever they do in their meetings, right? And they're all just talking and making decisions and being important. And Elijah just comes swaggering. Uh, he swaggers. It doesn't say it, but I know he swaggers. And he swaggers into the room. And Ahab goes, What? Is this Elijah, the guy's the troublemaker, Elijah? And Elijah comes in and he says, We're having a showdown. Meet me at the OK Corral at a high noon. Meet me on Mount Carmel, and we're going to see whose God is the real deal. All right. And then he swaggers out of the room like nothing happened. It's a great scene. He says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I love that. That's Elijah's reputation, right? It's the troubler of Israel. Okay, so let's get into this famous story. First um, Kings 18, 20 to 25. It says, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And by the way, I should mention that Mount Carmel, one interesting detail before we read this, Mount Carmel is sort of the, considered by Baal worshipers to be kind of the spiritual, supernatural epicenter, the house of Baal. So you have, this is his household. This is, this is like the temple for Yahweh. This is like the place where Baal hangs out and lives and touches down on earth, okay? Elijah picks this place on purpose. I'm going to go to the darkest place for Baal worship, and that's where we're going to have our showdown. And this attitude continues throughout the rest of the scene, all right? So knowing that, verse 21, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord, Yahweh, is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood." but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And then God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so Elijah devises this test between the so-called God, Baal, and Yahweh. They will construct two identical, actually it turns out to be one. I think one, they end up doing one, he rebuilds it, right? 
an altar, and they put wood on it, and there's two bulls, and he lets them choose. Choose whichever bull you think is the best one or is preferable to your God or whatever. You choose which one you're going to use, and I'll take your leftovers. You put, cut it up into pieces. You put it on the altar, but don't light it on fire. And then you pray to your God and ask him to set the fire and burn up the sacrifice so everybody can see your God's impressive. And then I'll pray to my God with the leftover bull. Whichever God answers by fire, that is God. I think here, verse 21, I just read it at the beginning there, is the thematic core of this whole story. And it puts a framework around what God and Elijah is actually after here. Because Elijah, Ahab gathers the people of Israel. We know Ahab is there, certainly Jezebel is there. We figure that out later. So everybody's there, and Elijah walks up, and who does he talk to? He doesn't say anything to Ahab. He doesn't confront him, and he doesn't confront Jezebel. He turns to the people that have been gathered there. They're people of God. And he says, how long will you limp between two opinions? Choose who you're going to worship and worship it. If you're going to worship Yahweh, then worship him. If you're going to worship Baal or some other thing, then do that. But stop being so double-minded and have a, having a split heart. And he confronts them. And what do they do? They can't say anything. They're just silent. And as if Elijah goes, okay, we'll continue. This whole thing is not about Ahab and Jezebel. It's not about convincing them that Yahweh is God. It's about shaking Israel out of her double-mindedness in their worship. And that's what Elijah is concerned about. And you'll see this again as we go. Verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verses 26 to 29. And they took the bull. So now we're going to, the prophets of Baal are going to do their thing. They took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. He is mocking them. He's mocking them and he's mocking their God. Even saying maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, maybe, maybe he's in a small bladder. Maybe you should yell louder. Maybe he's hard of hearing and he can't hear. Or he's distracted, just, you know, like... Me on a Sunday afternoon just staring at a wall and not paying attention to anything, right? So verse 28, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Quite a picture, isn't it? Limping and dancing and shouting and cutting themselves until these prof false prophets 
are just covered in their own blood, trying as hard as they can, and there's just silence and nothing happens at all. And as midday passed, they raved on, raved like madness, like a, like built, kind of being so worked up that you're like crazy people. They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, which is the end of the afternoon. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. <laughs> I love that, that no one's even paying attention. So finally they give up, and now it's Elijah's turn. But before Elijah took his turn with his altar, he did another curious thing. He does not address Ahab. He does not address Jezebel. He does not address the prophets of Baal. What does he do? Verse 30, he says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Whose altar is it? not Baal's. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying Israel shall be your name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. See Israel's divided. The two groups the tribes are scattered. They've lost their identity and now they're worshiping Baal. And he walks over in that dark place in the house of Baal. And he says, not only is Yahweh God, but he defines who you are. He says you are not divided. You are one people and you are his people and you are defined by his covenant. And you know what we're going to do? We're not going to play this silly game with Baal and Ahab and Jezebel and these 450 prophets. We're going to stand here and we're going to worship God. He builds an altar to the Lord, not a contest. He builds an altar to the Lord. So Elijah builds his altar and then he says, you know what, tell you what, let's make this interesting. He said, dig a trench. So they dig a trench around the altar. And he was like, what is, why is he building a trench? What's, what's that for? And then he asked them to bring water, so much water, that it sat and pour it on the altar so that the wood becomes saturated and dribbles down and fills the trench. So this deep trench they've built around the is filled with water and the altar and the wood and everything is saturated and soaked with moisture. If you've ever tried to make a campfire when it's just rained with wet wood, it is impossible. Okay, you can put a torch to it, you can do whatever you want. If the water, if the wood is soaked, it's not going to light. Verse 36 through 40, and at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, yeah, as you would do, and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah was not just a prophet that rides a desk. He also apparently had a sword and was capable of killing 450 false prophets. So look at this. The whole thing's burnt up. I mean, how hot does it have to be to burn up stones? The rocks he had used to build the altar are gone. Scorched earth, all of it. I think the point here is not just that God is, Yahweh is greater than Baal. I mean, that makes a dramatic movie, a dramatic story, but I don't think that's the point. Even though there are two groups, two altars, and two sacrifices in this contest, this is not a contest between Baal and Yahweh. The point of this is to show that there is only one God. There are not two. And it's not that God is more powerful than Baal, it's that Baal does not exist. He's not asleep. He's not relieving himself. He doesn't exist. And these prophets, these 450 very sincere, passionate, zealous prophets for Baal are fools because they are shouting into nothing and asking a God that does not exist to save them. The only God that is God is Yahweh. That's the point. There is only one God, and his name is Yahweh. That's it. There's nothing else. Baal couldn't light the fire because Baal isn't real. Baal couldn't answer because Baal doesn't exist. Psalm 135, 15 through 17 says that idols of the nations are of silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. They do not exist. This is incredibly controversial. But you need to understand that this is the most basic element of the Christian faith. If you can't get past, there is one God, and his name is Yahweh. Then you cannot be a Christian. And I think it's also interesting that the primary audience that needed to hear this declaration was not Ahab, Jezebel, and the Gentile world. It was Israel. When you see Israel in the Bible, you need to immediately think church. Now there's controversy about how far to take that. Yeah, 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 whatever, okay? But just think, when I see Israel, and I see God addressing Israel in the Old Testament, I need to think the church. So who needs to hear this? We love getting on Facebook and declaring to the world 
that God is God. But what about the church? What God is saying to us through Elijah is, church, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to limp back and forth between worshiping Yahweh and worshiping other things? How long is your mind going to be double-minded? How long will your heart be divided? How long will your affections be given some to this and some to him? Choose you this day who you will worship. And he's not saying that just to the world. He's saying it to us. We need to hear it. It confronts something in our heart that just wants to, yeah, but I really need my crops to grow. Yeah, but you know, God, like, I'm really, you're my priority. I'm really into you. But it hasn't rained in a little while. And I'm getting a little nervous that maybe you're not going to come through. And I've heard that this Baal guy, he helps it rain. And it's not a big deal. I give you most of my attention. I'm just going to give Baal a little something, something on the side. So maybe that'll help things along because I have mouths to feed. I have bills to pay. This is what's happening in Israel. There are many mysteries and uncertainties regarding God and his ways, that's for sure. But his pure existence as the only God is the most certain thing that we can know about the universe. In our culture right now, the idea of certainty is considered arrogance. Being absolutely convinced and sure and confident about anything, especially having to do with unseen things. Is considered arrogant and bigoted. But certainty and arrogance are not the same thing. Uncertainty is not a virtue when it comes to things that are certain. Yet our culture promotes uncertainty constantly as though it is a virtue. The shoulder shrug. Who can really know? I don't know. That's not humility if it's about something that is certain. And one thing is for certain, certain, that there is one God and his name is Yahweh. There are no other gods. There are no other things worthy of your worship at all. There is only one thing worth giving your allegiance to, and that's him. I see this all the time, even with Christian teachers, as well as secular educators and leaders. The most fundamental Christian belief is that confession from verse 39, Yahweh, he is God. Remember the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. One, singular. There is only one. And you can create other ones that are attractive, and you can even set up contests and say, it's my God against your God. But it's all foolishness, because there's only one. He is singular in his existence, and there is no other God. So you can't be double-minded on this. This very basic idea, 
which is basic theology. Even a child can understand it. If you ask any of those kids back there, how many gods are there? They're going to say one. Who's God? You know, God. They probably don't know the word Yahweh, but they got a name. They know that's God. That's the guy. But this idea will increasingly make you an enemy of the world. If you go around saying this and acting like it's true, I only worship one God. I worship the God. Wait a minute, the, the God? Well, yeah. Well, I worship a God too. And you can't tell me that my God doesn't exist. What would Elijah do? He does not respect your God. Like that part where he starts mocking them, I wrestled with that. I mean, that's not, that's not what I tell people to do. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, don't do that. Don't be a jerk. He's a jerk to them. I mean, he's, and, and then he kills them all. We really shouldn't do that. Um, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, uh, but that's what you did in the Old Testament with false prophets. Uh, you stoned them. You say that you're saying something God says. Um, Jesus reiterated that in a different form, which is, is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than for you to lead one of my little ones astray. It would be better for you to be slaughtered by Elijah than to deal with whatever God's got for you if you do that. Just saying. Don't be offended by Elijah because God's way worse. To fall into his hands because you've been out there leading his kids into idolatry and think you're getting away with it your whole life, it's, it's not better. But that's a whole other sermon. You cannot limp between opinions. This is an issue you have to settle in your life and not later, like right now. How many gods are there and which one are you going to worship? How many and which one's God? you got to decide. Believing this simple doctrine is going to become more and more controversial and harder and harder to hide. It will be hard to hide because if Yahweh is God, the second part of this is you must worship him. You cannot acknowledge him as God. Yeah, you're the God. You're the one. But you know what? I'm only going to give my allegiance to you, which is fundamentally what worship is. I'm going to give my allegiance to you so long as it's private and personal and secluded and only amongst other people that I know will agree with me and are also worshiping him. If he alone is God, then all of your allegiance belongs to him and him alone. You cannot hide what holds your greatest allegiance. You cannot hide it. It becomes obvious to everyone around you what's the most important thing to you. And this is what Elijah is after. The people have been riding the fence with this whole Baal thing. I imagine there's probably people in that crowd that had never once actually participated in worshiping Baal. But when he asked them, which God are you going to serve? They were silent. Just like, eh. Ahab's kind of a big deal. He can kill me. Jezebel's real scary. I'm just going to, we'll see what happens with the whole contest. If your greatest allegiance is to God alone, then you will find yourself more and more out of sync with the culture 
but also gloriously in sync with Yahweh. In sync with God, out of sync with the world. In sync with the world, out of sync with God. Tony Morita, writes this great commentary on King, says this, quote, Those who limp between two opinions never fall on their knees in humble adoration of Yahweh. Uncertainty will never lead you to deep intimacy. Divided affections will never lead you into devoted worship to God. Who is God? If Yahweh is God, then worship him. And this is, I believe, the fundamental question for us this morning. Who is God? And make a decision. And then worship him. Give all of yourself to him as best you can. And I know the word all is complicated. It's like when Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Well, how soon is soon? Well, it's a word he likes to use. It's really vague on purpose. I know all is always a question, but all, as much as you know all is right now, say, I'm all in. Wherever that leads me. This is all the prophetic words given this morning wrapped up in a little nutshell. When Pilate says, you know what? I don't really want to kill Jesus, but you know, I don't want to be seen as a bad leader. I don't want the people to riot, so we'll just go along. We're all in that place. But those who limp between two opinions never fall on their knees in humble adoration of Yahweh. Uncertainty will never lead you to deep intimacy. There are some things that you must be certain about and unshakable about, and this is one of them. It is not arrogant. It's just believing the truth. Amen? So what we're going to do is we're going to worship. We're going to sing that Christ the King song again. Um, I think this is the right response. And certainly there's some repentance in there. And I've, I'm repenting constantly. Um, idolatry is a funny thing, right? That it sneaks up in funny places. Like, well, I don't, I don't make fashion idols out of uh, you know, into little trinkets and put them on, in a shrine and bow down to them in my living room. But there's this thing made out of silicone that I have fashioned. I paid for it to be fashioned for me. And it determines when I rise and when I go to sleep. It determines what I believe. It determines what I feel. It determines how I think. And it is the answer to all my questions. When I have a question, I ask it, and it answers. <laughs> it's listening. It never takes a break and has to relieve itself. <laughs> it answers whenever I call. Two in the morning, it's there for me, waiting, softly glowing next to me. I was thinking about, uh, this is way off, oh, it's not really off topic, but... I got four minutes, according to this. Um, you know, if this whole Elijah thing had happened in 2022, 23, what year is it, Google? Uh, well, we, we would have just, it would have been a bunch of people going, or like selfie, right? Well, the, right in the, the big moment, you know, we'd all been taking selfies. 
It's trending on Twitter. It must be a big deal. So be careful about how you define idolatry. If you're walking around and with your head bowed in obeisance, whatever the word is, and uh, dutiful obedience to your glowing silicone device, maybe you need to rethink your definition of idolatry. Who owns you? Who owns your affections? Who owns your attention? What is it that sparkles in your life and gives you a sense of assurance that everything is going to be okay? And if that's not Yahweh, you're worshiping a false god. And we just need to get our sights set back on Him. And the way we do that, it's why we meet together. It's one of the many reasons why we do this once a week. It's because we have a seven-day or less ability to be faithful worshipers of Yahweh alone. And so we come together and we worship together because I need your help to remember who the one God is and to get my affections trained back on Him. So that's what we're going to do together in response. And if you need to like spend some time like repenting to God if things have come up as I've been talking, then do that. You don't have to sing every verse and every line. If you want to take a minute and do that, that's great. But I want you to at least spend some time at the end, worshiping him just because he's worth it. Amen? So I'm going to pray while the worship team comes up. Why don't we all stand together? God, here we stand as Elijah has confronted us and asked us the question, how long will you limp between two opinions? Who is God and who are you going to worship? So we as a church, God, we can say with certainty, absolute, unshakable certainty and confidence, you are God. You alone. You are the one God singular in your existence needful of nothing you stand alone in all of creation as the only source the uncaused cause of all things you are sovereign over all things you are powerful beyond measure you are glorious beyond compare and you are good to us and you love us you are great and mighty and we serve you and you alone right now there is no other god to serve so god would you help us by your spirit right now to gather up all of ourselves as deuteronomy 6 tells us to love you with everything we are and help us to stand here this morning in awe of you and give ourselves to you as much as we can right now Nothing else deserves our worship. No philosophy, no job, no nation, no idea, and no person, no hero, no villain. Nothing else deserves our allegiance but you. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to turn our hearts once again to him. In the name of Jesus.